welcome to The Well Podcast. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and give you practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit thewell.ca. Hey, good to be with you again this Sunday. We've got the power. We've got the power. Cue the music maestro. We got the power and not only is it greater than us, but it is completely different from any other kind of power. It is the power of God. It is the power of love. It's an unstoppable force of good in the world. And that is good news in the world that we're living, which is so full of bad news and so full of addiction and mental health issues and all of these things that are too great for us to do anything about. There is a power greater than us. Thank God. So welcome to the collective community of the surrendered or the people who entered through that little tiny door called I can't. Welcome. I'm glad to have some company here today. We are here together collectively to say we can't. This work is too hard for us. We need a power greater than us. And the good news is that power is given freely by God. And so we can receive that. And I want to talk just a little bit more about that kind of power. Now, most of us have thought our whole lives that this power that we need kind of comes outside of us. It comes from other things. So I remember years and years ago, I planned to run my first marathon. So I used to be a big runner before my third kid named Moses kind of destroyed my body. But anyway, that's a whole other conversation. I'll talk to you about it later. This one, I was training for this marathon. It was my first marathon. I lived in this little rural town and I had a friend who was training with me. And the, the marathon was the San Diego Rock and Roll Marathon. If you've never heard of that, you should look it up. It is a hoot. It is like hundreds of thousands of people come. Many of them, like 50,000 runners, but hundreds of thousands of other people come because every five miles of this marathon, they've set up a rock concert, literally. And the course literally winds its way from rock concert to rock concert to rock concert. And you pretty much just think you are a rock star. Now this thing for the first 20 kilometers, and then there's a whole other thing that kicks in but this whole thing was sponsored by the super gel and I won't ever forget it because we couldn't get the super gel where we lived in this like rural Canadian town and so we trained our best but we just kept saying to each other like wait till we get to San Diego we're running this marathon and we have super gel like we're just going to be completely unstoppable and so we're running this marathon and like literally like it's so much fun and the the rock concert people are like give it up for the runners and everyone's like Woo! and you're just like i'm a rock star you know like all this is happening but there's no super gel anywhere in sight and we're feeling it like 20k kicks in and we're just like where's the super gel like that was like our bonus like we're gonna make it like better time than ever before and then i spot on the side of the road i see these people holding these like wooden sticks with these gobs on the end of them and i'm like perfect we've been waiting for 20 kilometers for the super gel so we run over to these people and i grab the stick and i just like as fast as i can both my friend nikki and i and we of course suddenly realize it's vaseline now the good news is that i had no chafing in my mouth or my throat for many years to come it was Vaseline guys. It wasn't super gel. Like I still actually replay that memory in my mind. And I think about those people holding those sticks going like, remember when those two crazy women from nowhere came and grabbed these Vaseline and like sucked it back. <laughs> anyway, there is no super gel. 
Like this idea of a power coming from outside of you saying like, oh, that's what I need. This is how our whole society is run, by the way. This is like consumerism in a nutshell, in case you're wondering like, why do I have an impulsive desire to keep buying things I don't need? It's because this whole world has been designed for you to think that the power you need is outside of you and that you can get it out here somewhere. Even the disciples struggled with this. And Jesus actually told them, you know, everyone's going to come to you and go, oh, look, there it is over there. The kingdom's coming over there. Oh, there it is over there. The kingdom's coming over there. There it is over there. The kingdom's coming over there. But he said to them, but actually, you should know this. The kingdom is coming inside of you. The kingdom is coming from within you. This is when the Holy Spirit comes on the disciples, when the Holy Spirit is given to us, when the power greater than ourselves is given to us. That power is quite literally given to us. The power of God's Spirit that awakens our spirit, that actually gives us a power from inside out. Much like that burning bush. Remember from last week, if you were around in the desert, burning but not being consumed. Not a power that takes over. You know, one thing I uh, really have been thinking through a lot this last couple weeks is that there's really only one power that possesses people in the scriptures. And it's the devil, which I know is like a weird thing sometimes to say like the devil made me do it. But literally like the demonic realm, you know, the, the thief, the enemy, the evil, the like whoever this is, their modus operandi, the way that they do their business is they possess people. They take them over, they consume them, they oppress them, they control them. God does not possess people. This is really interesting. When it comes to the power of God, God gives us the power freely. And we then, like that burning bush, light up. We have a power greater than ourselves. But that power does not burn us up. It does not possess us. It empowers us then to give away that power to others. It's fascinating. Sometimes I'll, I wish God would just possess me. I don't know if you have this desire. Sometimes I just like, God, if you would just take over my brain and make all the decisions, they would be better. Like if you could just take over my body and make my body do what my body should do to treat my body well, this would work out better. Like there are many parts of my life where I just wish God would possess me. And God says to me over and over and over again, and always consistently through the Bible, that's not how I work. That's not who I am. That's not what I want. And you know why? Because that's not love. That's control. That's not empowerment. That's enslavement. That's not liberation. That's possession. (laughs) And this power, getting used to this power, stopping trying to get it from someone else or some, some other source and asking God to fill us with his power, his free power to light us up, to empower us, to truly understand, to know God, to love, and then to actually love others. This is this Pentecost moment. This is the promise of God to the disciples in the world. This is what God promises you and me so that we might look different and act different and feel different and operate differently from the other power that is at work in this world. And that's how I want to live. Now, I grew up in the church. I didn't stay in the church. I took off because I, what I experienced often in the church was a, a power that was controlling. 
and uh, a spirit that was kind of boring, if I'm honest, just like really lacked adventure, but also was pretty possessive. So I took off and believed that rebellion would lead to freedom, found out it does not lead to freedom, by the way, that's a big fat lie. Maybe some of you found that out for yourself. I found that out pretty quick. And then experienced sort of this radically inclusive, beautiful love of Jesus, uh, quite literally in a jail cell, awakening me to see differently, to think differently, to actually think about my life outside of myself at the center. <laughs> that might be the biggest miracle of salvation. I think sometimes you can actually want God, but keep your life at the center of the story so that you're the star of the story all the time. And that would be ah, pretty normal. But what would be supernatural, what would be completely different, what would be uh, what that power is for, is to help you get yourself out of the center of the story and to put somebody else there instead. Now, this is what's really interesting. When I grew up in the church, I heard all the time that Jesus was born at the time of the Roman Empire because it would afford the gospel, the good news of Jesus, the word, the New Testament, whatever, the way of getting the most impact, like functionality to get it out, right? Because they had centralized the language. So Alexander the Great had centralized the language, conquered the known world. The Roman Empire comes along, kind of takes over all of that. So they have all these roads that go places now. They've centralized the language. They keep conquering all of these territories because empire is always possessing more and more. It's like an insatiable, you know, I mean, we're witnessing this right now in Russia again with the Soviet, you know, sort of idea of like, that's going to be ours and we're going to take it. And now it's going to be ours. And the reason the Ukraine's like, please don't take us is not just because they don't like Russia. It's because the last time they took over Russia, they possessed Russia. They suppressed uh, or they suppressed the Ukraine and they make literally forced them to speak Russian and they called their land Russian land. They used all, and this is the exact same. This is just exactly what the Roman Empire did to all the regions around it. It was like this all consuming machine that just kept. And I always, I always heard like, this is actually, God's gonna use this because this will be the functional way. We'll just speak in Greek. We'll like, that will get to, everyone has to learn Greek in school. So they're gonna have to learn Greek. So the New Testament will go in Greek and they'll be the most functional, most effective way to get the gospel out. And I was like, well, that makes total sense. Of course, the empire centralized everything. The roads exist, the Roman roads, like, yay, like this is perfect timing for God. And then I actually read the Bible. <laughs> I was like, where did anyone get that idea from? It doesn't even make any sense because literally the first miracle of the power of God on the disciples. So this is, we're moving from Acts chapter one, where the promise of power comes, the disciples wait, tongues of fire rest upon them, Acts two. This is the Pentecost event, 50 days after all of the cross and the resurrection and Jesus is alive the fire, the power of God comes on and like begins to empower the disciples to live differently. And the first miracle of the power that's on them to live differently is for them to speak in different languages. And the languages that they spoke in were the languages of the origin country <laughs> of the people who were visiting Jerusalem at that time. I just want to repeat. The first miracle of the Holy Spirit empowering the disciples to tell the good news about who Jesus is 
was to empower them to use the language of people's origin, people's heart, people's sacred stories of themselves to speak in their own language. In other words, God doesn't even communicate with empire power. <laughs> that would have saved us a lot of hassle if the church had discovered that a couple hundred years ago, huh? God does not choose functionality over personality. God does not choose the most economic option for the most amount of people over you because he sees you and knows you and knows that you're sacred. Can you imagine? I don't even know for sure because I haven't done enough research to know if it was actually against Roman law to speak in those original languages from those conquered people groups. But when you have a look at all the boring parts of Acts 2, when they actually list all the people and where they were from, when you actually have a look at all that stuff, they're all from conquered countries by the Roman Empire who would have been forced into the system of the empire. They would have had to speak Greek. They would have learned to speak Greek. They would have used Roman currency and they would have been dominated by that empire. And the first miracle of the power of God is to not cooperate with that. It is to do the exact opposite of that. Now I have this thing with my son Moses, you know, ever since he was born, I just, I had this little back and forth with him. When I tuck him in at night, I say to him, you know, Moses, who made you? And Moses would look at me, he's like such a beautiful, beautiful kid. He would just look at me with these big eyes and this smile and he'd say, God made me. And I would say, he sure did, honey. God made you and he made you good. He made you fearfully. He made you wonderfully. He knit you together. You know, it's just, this is our, our, you know, how did God make you, Moses? And Moses looks at me and he says, he made me good. And I agree. And then I actually, one of these times I was tucking him into bed and I left the, the room and I realized, I don't know if I actually ever believed that about me. I think that I've always grown up and believed an idea that actually at my core, my essence, I'm bad. I'm off. I'm broken. I'm, well, some Christian theological language for that would be totally depraved. And I remember going into my room and my husband was there and I said to him, you know, when does Moses turn bad? And my husband, literally, if you know him, this is funny. He just deadpan looked at me. He goes, I think it's about six or seven. <laughs> when does he turn bad? What is happening when we believe a lie that at our very essence, at our center is badness? What kind of fruit might that bear in our lives? What if the first miracle of Pentecost, what if the very decision that the power of God gives to the disciples, the power that he gives to them to speak in the original language of the people who are conquered by empire. What if that is simply God saying, who made you? God made you. And how did he make you? He made you good. What if the first witness and the power of God 
at work in your life is to witness to the fact that he knows you and he loves you and he made you and you're sacred and your language is good and your person is good and your culture is honored and God sees you in that place, not trying to make you fit something else, not trying to choose functionality over your personality, but saying, I see you because I made you and I made you good. And all of that other stuff, that broken stuff, that depraved stuff is true. We all know it. Our own limitations, our own disordered attachments, our addictions, our burdens, our oppression. We know that darkness is alive and well, but it's a darkness that tries to consume us. It's a darkness that tries to possess us. And what God wants to do through his power at work within you and me is to actually liberate us from that oppression, to actually release what is true about who we are into this beautiful world. <laughs> I hope you're ready for this kind of power. This kind of power will not only liberate you from your oppression, but then actually will liberate others too. It'll change how we speak. It'll change how we communicate. It'll change where we go and who we talk to. You want to keep flipping with me backwards to the Exodus story? Well, might as well. That was the birth of the original freedom from oppression, right? Of the narrative of the Israelites getting free from Egyptian power. Acts, of course, is the, the miracle of the liberation of the first people of God, the Christians of God that are actually going to shake off the oppression of the enemy that would steal and kill and destroy and to bring freedom to the entire, entire world. When Moses encounters that burning bush and realizes this is not the same kind of power that I am familiar with, but what is this indeed? God answers him. He says, it's me. <laughs> it's God. I am that I am. This is something greater, something other than. As a matter of fact, the word holy itself, this is what God, I'm holy. This is what you're standing on, he says to Moses, is holy ground. Take off your shoes. There's something sacred going on here. The actual word holy simply means other than. It like literally means like, I don't know what this is. I have no category for this. Like I know it's sacred. I know it's divine. I know it's bigger than me, but it's like other than. I remember years ago in ministry, I had a, a, a guy that we were walking with who was addicted to drugs and had just sort of the sordid uh, life and then had this like powerful encounter with Jesus. Like really powerful encounter where it really knocked him off of his feet and he had this like full-on open vision and then after this he just really wanted to read the whole bible and i gave him a new testament he just voraciously is reading the new testament and he comes to me about a week later he goes i've read the whole thing it was incredible i'm like excellent i'm so glad he said i just finished reading the last book of the new testament and that's revelation and he said i totally get it <laughs> i said what because I've been studying Revelation for quite some time and I still don't understand it. I mean, if you have a chance to glance at the book Revelation, it is filled with all these images that mean different things and all these signs and apocrypha. Like, it's like, I mean, it's crazy. It's like Wizard of Oz on steroids, like Alice in Wonderland on steroids. It's hard to understand what that means. And so I said, well, tell me, like, what does it mean? Like you one week old power encounter with Jesus drug addict guy. <laughs> and he says... Isn't it obvious, Danielle? You just like, you get to heaven and you look at Jesus and you just go, holy. <laughs> and then you're like, you just, you look again and you're just like, holy. And then like, you look again, you're just like, holy. <laughs> you, just, you just never stop saying like, holy. And I'm like, I think he got it. 
I think that is what that, I think literally, like, I don't know what you thought, like, we're never going to stop saying holy, holy, holy. And I was, as a kid, I just remember that's going to be painful, right? Like, we're just going to sing some boring song or like even a contemporary song, but never stop singing holy, holy. What on earth is that? Maybe what we're never going to stop saying is holy. This is different from, this is way different. From, this is other than, this is greater than, this is like, whoa. And one of the things from that holy place that God says to Moses is, I'm the God who hears the cry. I'm the God who hears the cry. Let me tell you whose side I'm on. Let me tell you who I'm listening to. Let me tell you what I'm like and why I'm here. I'm the God who hears the cry. I'm the God who's listening to people who can't. I'm the God who can hear all of those places of quiet and desperate surrender. People who have gotten to the end of themselves, people who are at the end of their rope, people who don't know what to do with their kids, people who are stuck in jobs they hate, people whose life blood is coming out of them, people who are abused and oppressed and discarded, people who feel invisible and unseen. God says, let me tell you just how holy I really am. I'm the God who hears the cry. And that's when Moses starts to realize, it takes him a while, it takes him a while, but he starts to realize, one, there is a power greater than any other power and different from any other power. And four, something more remarkable than Moses himself. This power is not about becoming bigger or better or greater than yourself. This power is about helping others. This power is about empowering you to love others well, to serve others well, to see people differently, to partner with God, not to be possessed by him, but to partner with God in bringing goodness and releasing people, in, in, in giving that power away, power that comes under to liberate, power that comes alongside to say, I'm with you in this, power that gives itself away. So there's this like crazy story in Acts 16. And it's uh, the disciples getting the hang of using this power. And you can read all through the book of Acts. It's kind of cool. They get this power. The first act is to speak in the sacred language, these original tongues. Everyone's like, what's going on? Peter's like, it's Jesus, guys. <laughs> it's Jesus. There's a power that's come greater than Rome, greater than Caesar, different from anything that you've ever. And then they just start living that out. And the way that they live it out is so incredible because they're living lives that are not, I mean, they do not become like super religious uh, icons. Like they're not like thought of highly in religious hierarchical settings. They become truth tellers. Like they become whistleblowers. They become solidarity people. They become healers. They become servers. They become mercy. They become light bearers. They become, I mean, all the things God promised. They become martyrs. They lay down their lives for someone other than themselves. And it's like, so Acts 16 is a story where Peter and Silas, two disciples, are stuck in jail. And everybody's praying, and they're praying too. And there's this crazy earthquake. As, as it happens, there's an earthquake. And the earthquake opens the prison doors, and literally the scripture says it, it unlocks their chains. 
So that's a pretty big earthquake. And I feel like probably a divine sign that the God of power of the universe has opened a way for them to escape jail. So they're like, let's get out of jail. But on their way out of the jail, they see the jailer. I just want to repeat this. The jailer, that's the guy that kept them in the jail. That's like very technically their enemy. (laughs) They see the jailer about to take his own life because the cost for letting a prisoner escape is life. So he's like, I'm just going to do this now and not be executed later. So he's about to take his life. And the disciples say, well, I guess that's what happens when you work for the Roman Empire. No, they don't say that. Read the story. It's crazy what they do. They say, hey, hey, what are you going to do? Don't do that. He goes, well, this is, I got to, don't do that. He said, well, you guys are escaping. They're like, no, we're not. (laughs) What? No, we're not. They say, no, we're not. (laughs) They go back in their jail cell. I mean, like play this out. It's comical. Like, okay, you can lock us up again. (laughs) They just like patch together the jail after the earthquake. I don't know. But the disciples are literally going back to prison voluntarily to save their enemy's life. Okay, I don't need to walk this out. Do I? Do I need to break this down for you? What kind of power is that? You and I both recognize the power of the earthquake. And that's where we want to stop all the time. I want an earthquake. I want a demonstration of God's power. Like I want to be like, can't keep me in jail. (laughs) But the power that demonstrated the power of God was not in the earthquake, people. It wasn't. It was in the posture of the disciples. It was in the decision the disciples made to put someone else's life before their own. Jesus uh, put it like this, there is no greater love than someone who lays down their life for someone else. As a matter of fact, that's the greatest love that's ever been seen. And the power of that love is absolutely unstoppable. And the greatest place we see that is in the person of Jesus himself, who showed us what that looks like by putting himself (laughs) on the cross, by choosing to lay down his life so that other people might actually see and know and experience that love for themselves. That liberating power of God. (laughs) Wow. And when people get that power, that other kind of liberating power to actually lay down their lives for other people, the momentum of that is literally unstoppable. It's a revelation and a revolution of goodness in a world that has a lot of bad news in it. I don't know how this is going to work out in your life, but I know for sure that if you've gotten to the place, like last week we talked about getting to that, I can't. Or maybe like the marathon that I was on where eventually I realized there is no actually secret outside of me that I could buy or fix or try to possess that's going to help me. I need it in here. There is a power greater than me that can release that can free me, that can empower me, but not just for me, for others too. And that's the power that I'd love. I would love for you to know, for you to receive, and for you to use for other people around you. So I showed you last week a posture of surrender. We clenched our hands and then we released them to God saying, I can't over to you. 
And today I'd like to introduce you to two other postures. The first one is a posture I call generosity. And I want you to just hold your fists in front of you like this and maybe make this confession. You could do this out loud if you want. You could do this quietly in your own heart if you want. doesn't matter. You do what you want. But I confess that my natural human tendency is like to take and it's to hold and it's to keep and it's to hang on. But I choose because of the power of Jesus in me to open my hands and my life in a spirit of generosity. Freely I receive. Here's where I just ask for what I need for today. God, I, I need your power. I, I need your love. I need grace. I need wisdom. I need strength. I need your goodness. I need hope. I need vision. And all of these things, of course, are free to receive. Receive. I need forgiveness. I need mercy. And then I, I simply leave my hands open and I just say this, everything that I've so freely received, I'm going to look for where I can give it away. I'm going to look for where I can give it away. And the final posture is a posture of mission. That's what I call it. And I just invite you to cross your arms like this and, and make this confession with me. I confess my natural human posture is to spectate to critique, to keep myself safe, to stand at a distance, to say, not my problem. But I choose as a disciple of Jesus to open my life, my posture, my heart, to say to the lost and the last and the least, to say to my jailer or a councilwoman or my kid, or an, a, an orphan on the other side of the world. Here I am. I'm here for you. And you are welcome in my life. This is the power of God, available, free, and working in us and through us to change oh, darkness to light, bad things with some goodness, to be salt, to be healers, to be servants, to be examples, to be bushes on fire. <laughs> I pray you'll experience the goodness of that in your life and take it to others this week.